Welcome to Careers for the Blind. My name is Harrison Hoyes, and I'm losing my sight to retinitis pigmentosa. As my vision continues to get worse, I wanted to have conversations with other blind and visually impaired people to see what advice they may have to offer and keep me motivated and inspired and continuing to strive to do the best that I can in my career. I know I'm not the only person going through this type of situation. So my hope is other people will benefit from hearing these conversations the way that I've been benefiting from them. And in this way, I'll be able to give to others what my guests have been so generous to give to me. In April 2021, I had a conversation with Melissa Lomax. Melissa lost her sight due to glaucoma, but she wasn't going to let that slow her down. She was an excellent student, had straight A's through college, with one minor exception, and after graduating, took a position with Blind Industries and Services of Maryland, was there for a number of years, but today is the college and career advisor at the EDGE Pre-Employment Transition Program. Here's my conversation with Melissa. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you, appreciate you taking some time to speak with me and share your story. But I don't remember from the last time we spoke, what was, uh, what was it that caused your vision loss? I have glaucoma, so it's hereditary. My mm-hmm. mom has it. A lot of, actually, I'm from a blind family, which is very rare. Okay. My grandfather is the first one to have it, though. And we know what the cause was. And I think that throughout the generations, it's just going to phase itself out. Okay. All right. So at what point of your life was it that it started to affect you? I'd say at, at birth. I guess I just didn't know it at the time. Okay. Um, I knew that I never lived. I never had a day where I had perfect vision. Um, I don't even know what it's like to see out of both eyes, to be honest. Yeah. So when you were going through elementary school, high school, were you having any kind of accommodation to, uh, to do that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I was um, given an IEP when I was in elementary school. And they had this whole team. And then in third grade, I was like, I would like to fire them. (laughs) (laughs) So I did because I realized that in some cases, not in all, but in some cases, the IEP program is just really not what what benefits some of the students because they they talk down and they say all these negative things. And a lot of them aren't true. And sometimes the goals are too, in my opinion, too low for students. So that was... um, one of the reasons why at third grade I was like that man this is not going to work for me um so I just worked with my teachers directly to figure out what was best for me as far as accommodations went and then when I got into um middle school and high school I got a 504 plan and that helped me to get a little bit more accommodations in a private catholic school than I would have otherwise gotten so I was able to get access to um sitting near outlets in classes so I can use my my portable CCTV. I was able to get permission to use my Braille display, my Braille note taker, and to go print the stuff out whenever I needed to. Those are some of the biggest accommodations I relied on in high school, as well as the ability to, um, well, in middle school, the ability to leave class early was essential because we had to go between buildings on a whole block, and I had a huge... CCTV at the time. So I'd have someone carry it. So that was also another helpful accommodation. Okay. Real quick. I'm not, remind me, what does IEP stand for? Um, individualized education plan. Ah, uh, okay. And, right, right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's 
that's with a team of people. So you can have like a school psychologist to do all those I, uh, those IQ tests and other tests like that, as well as your like vision teacher and special ed coordinator for the school and whoever else would be necessary to help be on the team to ensure that you're getting the stuff that you need to okay. get all your right. work done. Yeah. And the 504 plan that you mentioned? You know, that's funny. I really can't describe that one to you. I just know it doesn't involve a team, and I okay. was happy with that. All right, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. Did you uh, go on to college? I did. I went to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Okay. And in college, what kind of accommodation did uh, did that university provide to you? Okay, so this is um, an interesting journey for me because when I got to college, I declared a major in English literature because I wanted to be a high school writing teacher. And they said you had to take both in order to get that education certification. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And my freshman year, I was doing so much reading and I lived in the library and I would keep going to doctors because I was like, doctors, help me. Like, I think my neck is broken. <laughs> my, shoulders, <laughs> my shoulders are messed up. But really, um, one doctor told me it's because you bend over all the time to like use your eyes to read the books. And he, he had no real understanding of blindness or anything, but he's like, there's gotta be a better way. Is there anything else you can do? And I was like, well, I don't know anything else. Like I, I knew Braille a, a little, um, enough to like, I knew Braille, but I didn't rely on it enough to be fluent. Mm -hmm. And all I knew was how to look at screens and stuff. So I really struggled my freshman year of college because I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know what would be best for me. And so I couldn't really tell other people what they can do for me. And so I decided to stop college for a semester, which is hard because I was also an A student and um, I wanted to go get training at a blindness center. And I remember having to state my case was really difficult because they're like, you're doing well in college. You have straight A's. And I was like, but I'm struggling because I'm not doing the work efficiently. And so I got the training that I needed. And when I got back to college, I realized, okay, I need my books scanned and so that I can read them on my computer. I need JAWS so that I can, um, I don't have to strain my eyes and I can get work done faster. And I don't really need a CCTV except to read receipts at the mall. And <laughs> yeah. so that really helped me to know more what I needed. And the college really wasn't the greatest with getting the accommodations. And so um, my junior year, I've still had a 4.0 GPA. And um, unfortunately, the college did not get a textbook that I needed for my Society of Policing class scanned. So I had to do a lot of guesswork. There was no, there was an older version that was accessible, but it was so far from the current version. I had to Google a lot of the concepts I heard the professor talking about in class. And I struggled because I couldn't find a full-time reader or like not a full-time reader, but I couldn't find a reader to help me consistently. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember feeling like, like I worked so hard on that class because I had to. And in the end, I got a B, got an 89 in that class. And that really crushed me because I had such a, a great GPA. That's the only B I got. And I felt like it was um, mainly due to the fact that I didn't have accessible textbooks. So I asked every single week. And so we did a, Someone did a, a class or started a class action suit against my school when it came to the disability services. And they asked me if I wanted to also get in on that and to testify about my experiences. And of course I did. And luckily, 
whole bunch of changes have been made and now students can get their stuff so easily without fuss and without stress. So I'm just glad that um, I was able to pave the, the way along with others to make sure that students have a better education there. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of training did you did you receive? I went to the Colorado Center for the Blind, and it's a, mm -hmm. what they call a structured discovery center. And basically, the way I describe structured discovery when it comes to blindness is like how I how I was taught it. At least, I was taught that um, immersion training. It's kind of like if you want to learn a new language, the best way to do it is to just really dive in and go to another country and realize that you have to also depend on that language. And so this center helped me to really depend on my, the blindness skills that they were teaching me because I had to live in my own apartment and cook my own meals and travel places that I needed to go. So I had to learn the techniques and then apply them right away. I remember mm -hmm. my friends had all these fancy braille displays and stuff. And all I had was paper and a slate and stylus. So they, they, they told us to braille so much stuff in training and all I had was this like old fashioned, what you would equate to a, a pencil and paper. Mm -hmm, and yep. so that's, not, that's what I had to use for everything. So I became really good at slating because that's all I could do. Um, but I felt like it changed my life for the better because I became more confident. I came back to college and started jumping straight into leadership opportunities. Whereas before I was very hesitant. I was like, they're not going to let a blind girl lead this. And mm -hmm. I got back and I was like, why wouldn't they? Right, right, <laughs> so, right. That changed me. That changed my life completely. Yeah, for for me as well. I went to Blind Incorporated in Minneapolis, and I had a a, a fantastic experience there. So yeah. I totally know what you mean. Absolutely. During so during college, you knew uh, you know a good idea of what you wanted to do after college. Is that what you ended up pursuing? Not at all. So because <laughs> okay. I had to take a semester off of, for training. I really didn't want to stick with an education certificate because um, you had to take classes in a specific order during specific semesters. And I didn't have the patience to have to wait for another fall semester to come around for me to be able to get back on track because okay. I was off a spring semester. It was, it was just, it just wouldn't have helped because you had to take class one and take class two right afterwards so mm -hmm. it's, yeah it was a headache so I ended up just doing English and I didn't know what the heck I was doing at that point because I'm like I'm not a literature lover I just like to write and I like mm -hmm. to edit so um, I graduated with that degree along with sociology a sociology minor and an English writing minor an extended English writing minor so I mainly focused on professional technical writing with that one and um yeah, I graduated. I'm like, what am I doing with these? <laughs> okay. All right. So what was the first job that you got out of college? Um, the first job that I got out of college was in Baltimore. It was at this place called um, Blind Industries and Services of Maryland. I started out as a youth services coordinator, and we had to redesign the summer program that year from scratch for high school and middle school students from all over the nation. And I got in there at the end of February and I was like, how are we supposed to put together a program where I don't know anything about the company or what I'm doing? But somehow it turned out to be successful. And um, from there, I worked my way up to manager and I was there for five years. And oh, I resigned from there in 2019 and moved to New Jersey. 
Okay. All right. What was uh, the interview process like in, uh, for that first position? Very easy because um, at that point, I was already doing work within the blindness community. So I was the president of the Maryland Association of Blind Students, and I was advocating a lot. In fact, I went to Damascus, Syria to advocate there as well in 2010. And I had been involved in several blindness organizations at that point, And I really had a passion for youth. Like, I was just, I feel like I was born to be a mentor. <laughs> I know it's a weird thing to say. But I'm just like, why would you keep knowledge and not pass it down? So when it came time for me to graduate from college, um, I graduated in December of 2013. And, and in January of 2014, several people asked me if I would interview for this job they're just like we know we know you have experience we know that you'd be a great fit and I was like how do you know if I don't know mm -hmm. <laughs> so I didn't actually have what you would call a job interview per se it was like a meeting and I told them okay. I was like guys I actually applied for a job that I I think I really want and um you know, I'm waiting for that response. So can I just go on contract? And they said, yeah, of course. And then six months passed and um, I was like, okay, the summer program ended. I love what I'm doing. I'm impacting people's lives positively. I'll stay. And then maybe a week after I chose to stay, I got an email from the job I originally applied for. And they're like, yeah, we'd love to set up an interview. I was like, you guys are so late. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't regret my decision. Yeah, no. So it sounds like mostly from all the networking that you've done, that you did prior to to the job is really what helped you land the job. Exactly. I yeah. feel like that's for a lot of people. You know, they say 80% of the jobs that people get now is because of networking. It's not really because of applying and getting interviews. It's really who you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what about the job? You moved to New Jersey. How did you find out about the job? How did you uh, interview for that? What was that interview process like? Okay, so when I moved to New Jersey, my focus was first vacation because I worked <laughs> okay. so hard. And then I started studying for my project management certification. And um, so I was doing that. And then I started volunteering for what what we call the EDGE program, which I'll explain in a minute. And I was helping high school and college students figure out how to formulate their resume and talking about what it's like to be really into volunteering and helping the community, which is one of my huge, huge focuses. And with that, I was on one call and I was talking about the power of LinkedIn. And one person overheard my, my discussions and she said, I'm leaving this job at Edge to go get a PhD. And I can't imagine anybody else more fit to take my, my job than you. Can you consider applying? So once again, it was an ask. It's like these things fell into my lap because once again, people saw what I did and, um, and what, I, what my passion was for. And they just were like, we, we want that where, mm -hmm. where, um, wherever they were working. So I did interview and... There were other candidates, but they had selected me for, for this position that I'm in now, which is a college um, career navigator. I work to help college students be successful academically, of course. I help them socially to make sure they're plugged in, especially now during these crazy times. And also mm -hmm. I help them with their 
career aspirations. So the simple stuff like the cover letter and resume, but also the more complex stuff like what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Do you know what you actually want to do in life? And do you know how to advocate for your needs in order to get where you need to go? So those are the hugest areas that I focus on. Okay. All right. Excellent. And so in your day-to-day -day activities, what kind of technology you're using to make sure you're, you're being productive and effective? I'm using JAWS on my computer and I am able to navigate Excel, which I've learned to really love in this job and, um, and other typical applications and then our like online network or database and stuff like that. And then I also use Ira sometimes, which I'm able to call them and to get them to describe certain things for me. So sometimes when I'm taking these courses, uh, professional development courses, it's not really accessible when it comes time to print the certificate and little things like that. So I use Ira and um, I use my iPhone and scan stuff with the KNFB Reader mobile app if I need work through any paperwork and things like that okay um, is that is that a free app no kfb is not it's like a hundred bucks um, okay but it's been worth it for me so i can't complain because it's definitely made my life a lot easier okay and uh, my students love to screenshot stuff to me and text it so they'll screenshot their schedule or or like an email that they got from a, a professor instead of just forwarding it so it's like a picture of text and so with uh -huh. the KNFB Reader mobile app, I can go in there and I can like upload this picture and it will tell me exactly what it says. So that's been really helping me with, okay. with these students. And also, I never used the Google, Google Docs and stuff like that for intense things. And now I feel like I live on Google Docs as well. So that's okay. another thing that I'm starting to, to use a lot more too. Yeah. Hey, I mean, if the even though there's a price tag on the KNFB reader, if it works well enough and helps you, I'm sure uh, if you had to, you could probably get your employer to chip in for it, right? Or, or even pick it up for you if it's critical to you doing your job. Most definitely. That was, that was the case in my first job. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, uh, so now you're in at uh, the EDGE program. And what advice would you have for people in high school, college, uh, you know, people that are looking for work, any advice throughout your, all of your experience, any, any key tidbits of advice that you'd share? Oh my goodness. I mean, I don't want to be here forever. So <laughs> a few, a few key things, a few, yeah, a few yeah. highlights. I feel like uh, just given the conversations I had today at my job, I would say one of the biggest ones is be confident in yourself. I can't explain enough how much self-confidence can take you, how far self-confidence can take you. Um, I have students who are like, I don't want to let people know that I can't see or I don't like the way that my eyes look because I'm blind. So I don't want to show them. I just want to hide. And I don't want to use my cane because I don't want to be seen looking helpless or whatever it is. But if you focus on getting that self-confidence, it will really help you to realize what you need and realize that what you need is for you. And it doesn't matter what the world thinks about what you need if it benefits you. You're not here to, to try to make other people comfortable by hiding your visual impairment, your blindness, and 
by skating by struggling, I guess, I, I would say to find that way, find that method to become more self-confident. Maybe it's a photo shoot to empower yourself, to be able to look at yourself and to appreciate what you see and to share that with other people. And maybe it's just finding accessories that really make you feel good about yourself. They even have like colorful canes or you can get different glasses frames to make you feel better, whatever you need to do. Um, and maybe it's more serious about joining more groups where they talk about blindness philosophy so you can really believe in what's going on and understand your condition better. That's number one. Number two is everyone can be someone in your network, your professional network, even if you don't think of them as professional, you didn't meet them in professional settings. And I would say to really capitalize on that, if you have a big goal, share that with people. Um, once, once it's more solidified, don't share too early because you know that ruins stuff. But if you're, <laughs> if you have a, a desire to get an internship, by all means, tell everybody you know because you never know who can help you with that. And the third and final thing that I would say, even though I could say a whole bunch more, is know what accommodations work for you, and then know the backup plan because um, there are going to be so many situations where you're going to realize what you thought you've been using well, even in college is not going to work in whatever situation you're in at work. So it's really good to be very comfortable with going outside of that box that you may have placed your accommodations in to find what would work for you in new, un unknown, unexpected situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and oftentimes, I think you need more than just the plan B. You need plans C and D and sometimes beyond yeah, to make sure that you're able to, to be productive. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, last time we spoke, you mentioned a little bit about uh, your podcast that you're doing. You want to tell me a little bit more about that? Okay. So I have a podcast with my close friend, Natalie, and she's in California. And together we are a team, the Fashionably Tardy team. And that's the name of our podcast. Our focus is on the fashion industry and the creatives who work behind the scenes to build up this industry in different ways. So we interview these creatives and we get to know their, their journey and their dreams and their struggles and their highlights. We work on interviews for people with and without disabilities because we believe that that platform should be accepting of both. And she's, Natalie is also blind, which makes it amazing too. And so when we talk to people within the fashion industry, we say, hey, we're doing an interview. We would love to do an interview on you. People are like, you're blind. Like, why do you care about the fashion industry? And to be honest with y'all, I don't really. Um, okay. I, my co-host Natalie loves fashion, would love to be a stylist and does modeling and stuff. I love storytelling. And so together, I think we make a really good team. And within this podcast, we've been able to expand to do more what we call retail accessibility consulting, working with stores to ensure that their websites are more accessible, working with physical stores to ensure that they are also fitting with universal design and accommodating everyone with disabilities. Simple things that people don't think about, making sure the aisles are wide enough, making sure that the hangers can easily be taken down, um, maybe finding a more tactile way for blind people to identify clothing or finding some system. I would love it if there's like a pen friend system for stores, um, things like that, that people don't really 
understand. And also when it comes to what we call adaptive fashion, which is clothing that can be worn for people with um, a lot of disabilities where they may not be able to use their arms and their legs like everyone else may be able to. Um, they're, they're really separated in a store if they're even there. So we're just advocating that stores be more accepting and more understanding of what people with disabilities would love to see in their stores. Yeah. Okay. What What about blind people in the fashion industry? Have you come across very many? Well, no, not per se. We have come across some. So we have one beauty influencer. Her name is Jennifer Renee. She's out of New York. She has albinism and she's amazing with her makeup art. She's even got her own line of makeup that can be purchased. And then also there's Belle Bax. She is also known as the little fashion stylist, and she's in New York City. She now works for Harper's Bazaar, um, which is a very important magazine. And she is completely blind in one eye, has a prosthetic, and she just came out and shared that with people with her huge following about two years ago. And now we can, Natalie and I can consider her a good friend, and she's just very open to learning more um there is let's see there's a blind woman in australia who we have not been able to interview yet um but she has an entire line of athleisure wear and really doing great work we have our eye on her (laughs) We, we really like what we see and then there's this one woman in england named Lori, and um she's been consulted with for a lot of projects and I know she works right now with BBC in some ways but we she her schedule is so busy we have not yet been able to interview her either when we do find a blind person though who's not just a model because there are blind models we consider modeling a very um, a more easier part of the fashion industry to get into versus like styling photography or um, designing and stuff like that so when we find blind people, like we get excited. Oh, and there's also the two blind brothers who um, actually one of them just got married. So they their schedule is like crazy. So we were supposed to interview them last month, but they'll be on season three with us. And they have this cool thing where they send a box. You can subscribe on their website and they'll send a box to you. And like you don't know what the heck is in that box until you open it. But it's usually different products and clothing and stuff like that. And so we we include them because they do sell shirts and other items like that as well that can be considered fashionable. And and those and both of them are blind. They are, yeah. Oh, all right, all right. And they're known as the two blind brothers. The two blind brothers. Yeah. Okay. Like cool, cool, very cool. Earlier, you mentioned you know something about uh, having confidence with you in walking with a cane. Do you walk with a cane or a seeing eye dog? I use a white cane. Usually okay. a straight one. All right. Uh, have you considered getting a seeing eye dog? Nope. <laughs> no? I cannot see myself with one. I don't think my lifestyle would support it. I think I, I think, yeah, it's just like I know that for people who choose a guide dog, a lot of them just say like, I just, I just knew it would be for me. And I would, I see the situation. I'm like, I know it's not for me. And <laughs> I can't really explain it, but I know that it's a matter of preference. And for me, I just don't. And I also think about like the, the little things. I'm like, that's an added responsibility at the moment. Sure. 
If sure, my hand sure. gets dirty, I go wipe it off or I throw it away and get a new one. But a dog is a different story. So yeah, yeah. No, I I use I use a white cane as well. Haven't really considered getting a a, a guide dog. You know, I say seeing eye because I'm you know I'm familiar with the with the seeing eye, but um, you know, certainly definitely it's definitely something that people it's personal preference, whatever works for you. And, and for the time being, yeah, just like yourself, you know, white King is working well enough for me for the, for the time being, but we'll see what the future holds. That's how I feel. I'm like, maybe when I settle down, I'll just be like, you know what? A dog would be conducive. I mean, there are cool aspects to having a dog guide that, that I think are very cool, but not cool enough yet to make me choose it. Mm -hmm. And what about mentors when you were in high school, college, and, and even now, do you, is there anyone that you consider a mentor? Uh, absolutely. So when I was in ele elementary school and stuff, I've known a lot of blind people who are older than me and I'm like, yeah, some of you guys are great. Some of you aren't. So I really had a good variety of people, but I'd say my first real mentor, someone who I can admit I'm looking up to that I, I'm learning from, she was in this program that I was part of in New Jersey. It's actually funny because the EDGE program is re has revamped this original program. It was called LEAD, and it was for um, blind high school students all across the state. And my mentor, her name was Evelyn Valdez, and uh, she was just so stylish and so confident in herself. And I was like, I want to be like that. And so she was my mentor as far as like, how I want to conduct myself. And it wasn't until I got to college that I realized there's more. I need to know blind mentors who, I need to have blind mentors who can also encourage me professionally. And so that's when I started reaching out and finding oh, so many people. I don't even, the list is long, I guess. Not super long, but it's, I've, I have quite a few blind mentors throughout my time who have really, I feel like helped me become the professional I am today as mm -hmm. well. And I realized I wrote an article about it recently in this magazine called Future Reflections um, because I feel so strongly about mentorship. And I started to realize that some of my students who I was working with were classified as quote unquote bad students because they were of different backgrounds. Like they were black or they were Hispanic and they were from the inner city and People didn't want to work with them and understand them. And it really bothered me because I realized that maybe we're going about this mentor thing the wrong way. When we look at the blind field, I feel like we don't have enough diversity when it comes to mentors that's, that people can look up to. We really have a bunch of blind people who are very well known and well respected. And um, it's just not a lot of diversity there, not a lot of diversity in age or, or race and things like that. And so my desire is to empower more people to to reach their career goals and to be confident in themselves and to share that with other people so that we can have a wider net of mentors to choose from, from for students and so that the students can have different criteria that they can pick from. Maybe you just want a mentor who can teach you how to be stylish and confident in yourself. Maybe you want a mentor for your career. Maybe you want a mentor who had the same upbringing as you but made it. We don't know what students would benefit from a lot of the times in, in these programs. We just pair them with who we think 
oh, you want to be a teacher? Let me pair you with a teacher. And I feel like we can do better with expanding that. So for right now, my focus is on reforming how how we view mentorship and how that how that comes across in in programs and also just in like informal relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I do know Evelyn and I know I'm going to make sure she hears this and she's going to love that you said that she's stylish. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She knows already. <laughs> yeah, she does. She does. When I wrote the article originally, I was going to put her name in it. So I text her. I was like, Evelyn, just so you know, I'm going to name drop you. She, goes, <laughs> oh, she was so happy. But yeah. now I just name drop her because I, I couldn't put it in the article. It wouldn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, what, uh, you know, you've obviously been extremely motivated, straight A student. Uh, what, where do you think you find your motivation? Where does that come from? It comes from a desire to, honestly, this may sound cheesy, but it is so true. It comes from a desire to do the best that I can so I can help other people do the same thing. Like literally when I, when I want to give up in college and wanted to give up, I was like, if I give up, I'll be you know, one of the 40% who doesn't finish college just because they're blind. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to help my students to know that they can push forward. And that just kept motivating me when I find obstacles in my way, like accessibility obstacles and stuff. And just like, I can just sit here and just be like, not accessible. Someone just do it for me. But then how can I pave the way for other people? And so that has really been what has encouraged me to work hard, both academically and professionally like I'm not the type to come to work and do the bare minimum I don't think I know how to do that especially because I have so much passion for the the idea of giving back or helping future generations be better yeah that was fantastic tell me tell me a little bit more about your trip to Syria yeah in 2010 I went to Damascus Syria with nine other youth from America and we collaborated with 15 youth in Syria and it was through this program called the Open Hands Initiative and um, it was also to encourage and to explain the importance of the United Nations Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So we went there with two big initiatives. One was to advocate and teach and one was to create a comic book. So for the advocacy part, we um, we talked about the United Nations Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. We talked about what that would mean in the country of Syria for its people. And um, we talked about like basic advocacy stuff. But what we didn't do was go tell the, the youth to do things certain ways because um, through our discussions with them, we learned just how culturally things differ from from here to there and uh, how much more limited they are. And like we even learned that if you have a hearing impairment or if you're deaf, there is only one, or at the time, there was only one high school for deaf people in like the greater Damascus area, which is crazy because some people could wait like 10 years just to go to high school because they didn't have enough interpreters in the schools to be able to go with the students elsewhere. And so like we got to meet with the Minister of Education, we got to hear from him, got to talk to him about our concerns and, and ask like, what are you doing about this? We met with the First Lady Asma Saad and we talked to her. She had, she had a school called um, 
light and flower, basically Noor and I think it's Zaire, forgot how to say flower in Arabic, but um, they had a school called Light and Flower for blind students. And we talked about what that school did. We showed them uh, our playing cards because I always carried playing cards with me. We showed them what our playing cards look like in Braille and they're really excited. And they were like, yeah, we need to figure out how to print more of those for our, our students. And we, we did a lot of education in that regard. Then the second part of it was we worked together in groups to create a comic book. And it was and is the first comic book to be released in the Middle East that has a disabled character as the primary focus huh. of it. And it's called The Silver Scorpion. And we were we worked together to create a storyline and what we wanted the character to look like and just some important scenes that we thought would be vital for the story. And then um, Liquid Comics went in and cleaned it up for us because we only had three days to sit in this room and work really hard on this. Um, Liquid Comics cleaned it up for us and then it was released. It just it was unfortunate because all that all that stuff happened, sorry for the sirens, all that stuff happened like right when the country was getting crazy. Like we mm -hmm. left in August and all this craziness started happening in like October of 2010. And so when the thing was supposed to be released in 2011, when the comic book was supposed to be released in 2011, it really was unfortunate because we couldn't really have a formal release without our Syrian counterparts and they couldn't, they couldn't attend or even attend virtually just because of everything happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I was glad we did it when we, when we did. And um, the last part, we did also get to enjoy the cultural experiences. They took us to restaurants and gave us like, course after course of food and I was like just when you think it's over after you had dessert then they're like okay fruit and so <laughs> it was a lot of food it was so good um but it was it was definitely a, a very powerful learning experience and an experience where I can I realized like I can advocate for for disabilities like even beyond um this country and even beyond blindness because the youth that we worked with were not just blind like there were some who had hearing impairments some who had like who had autism and who had other like who had cerebral palsy and everything else it was such a wide variety which i liked i hope we can all learn something from my conversation with melissa today i know for myself i'm going to do whatever it takes to boost my own confidence that self-confidence is really what's going to propel me to do my best in life and in my career. I hope you come back to hear more inspiring conversations with other blind and visually impaired people. And thanks for listening.